Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm reviewing a codependency checklist. So there are lots of codependency checklists out there. I've been reviewing some of Susan Forward's work, one of my favorite authors and researchers on trauma and childhood development. This list is on page 39 of her book, Toxic Parents, Overcoming Their Hurtful Legacy and Reclaiming Your Life. Codependency is often a confusing term for people. Highly sensitive people often tell me, Nikki, I am not codependent. I'm very independent. And that's true. We can have a very independent spirit, a very go-getter spirit, and still be codependent. So let's go over this checklist together. Number one, solving problems or relieving pain of another is the most important thing in life, no matter what the emotional cost is. Now, this is where the codependency lies. Helpfulness is a beautiful quality. But when we help, Despite tremendous emotional cost to ourselves, what we're modeling for our inner child is that someone else's need or desire or pain is more important than our own. And we allow somebody else's emotional experience to derail our own life, to take our energy, to distract us from our goals, to give and give and give and give. Second codependency checklist. My good feelings depend on approval from others. Now that's tricky as a criteria of codependency, right? We feel good when other people approve of us. That's never going to change. I think that's a universal truth. We are tribal creatures. We're social creatures. We want approval. We don't want disapproval. So how is this codependent? Well, it's when our good feelings are dependent on approval. This might show up as terror or resistance to ever allowing anyone to be in disapproval of us. We might melt down if someone is in disapproval. We might not have any resiliency in the face of disapproval. We might lie and manipulate 
even if for the greater good, to not ever experience disapproval because we are dependent on approval to feel good about ourselves. This is part of why you hear me talk so much about becoming our own authority figure so that we can be the source of our own approval. Because so often in this life, we're going to have to say no to people. We're going to have to disappoint them. We're going to have to be in their disapproval because nobody likes hearing no when they ask us a question or ask us to do something. So the struggle is in the dependency of good feelings on approval from others. Number three, I'll say it as a woman who's codependent with a man, though it happens every which way. I protect him from the consequences of his behavior. I lie for him, cover up for him, and never let others say anything bad about him. Often, if you've been in a dysfunctional relationship, these may be the very rules that get enacted in a dysfunctional relationship. People may even say this out loud to one another. That, hey, if we're in a relationship together, it's your job to cover up for me, to not let anybody else say anything bad about me. You're supposed to be my protector. There's a lot in codependency that takes something that's very healthy, the fact that we might want to protect our loved ones, that we may want to shield them from pain or from judgment. But it takes it to a next level because when we protect someone from the consequences of their own behavior, we also protect them from learning. We protect them from growing. And that's no protection at all. It's an enabling instead of a helping. It's a coddling instead of a growing. And this is how dependency on each other grows. Because we think my identity is about being this kind of protector, this kind of consequence thwarter for another. And that becomes a full-time job. Codependent people often become very, very resentful of other people needing them while they position themselves to be needed and to be the helper for other people. In this way, we create our own traps thinking that we're doing the right thing, very puzzled about why these ways of being bring exhaustion and resentment. Codependent people, number four, we try very hard to get people to do things our way. Again, at first face value, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course we want things our way. We're our own person. Codependent people tend to justify manipulating and pushing in ways that take away someone else's autonomy, in ways that communicate psychologically, hey, something's wrong with your way and my way is better and right and you must do it mine. We do good for ourselves as recovering codependents to let go of that level of control and sink into more negotiation. We can learn to be assertive. This is my way. This is the way I would like to do it. Now let me hear your way and how you would like to do it and let's negotiate. In that way, we're meeting each other as equals instead of, a, instead of as codependent or dependent and dependent. Number five, I don't pay any attention to how I feel or what I want. I only care about the feelings and the wants of others. Can you hear the martyrdom in that? A lot of us were raised to be selfless, to give and give and give, that that's what Jesus would do. Remember those bracelets? 
what would Jesus do? We are taught that it's noble to put our own feelings, our own desires aside. Sometimes this is right. Sometimes. Sometimes we make sacrifices in our relationships. But if we only care about other people's feelings and we don't pay attention to how we feel or how we want, and this becomes a strong foundational pattern of how we relate and move through the world, we are disregarding ourselves. We're disrespecting ourselves, our own desires, our own personhood. This does not lead to healthy relationships. This leads to anger and frustration and resentment, martyrdom. Often we help somebody out a whole lot, filling up their cup, filling up their cup, filling up their cup, not paying attention to how drained and empty our cup is. And then that person just skips away, living their life, doing their thing. And then we're left with what? Sometimes resentment, sometimes bitterness. Often someone who's struggling with codependency will confess to me that whenever they're in need, no one knows how to show up for them in their life. And that's a very hard thing, but it's part of coming out of this dynamic. It's part of facing it. It's part of recognizing and realizing and changing. Once we realize and see, oh no, I have taught everyone around me that I give and give and give and they get to take and take and take. Then when I'm in a position to need to take, they don't know how to give. I've participated in this dynamic. I've encouraged it. I've allowed it. I've taught it. I've enabled it. This is often why a very codependent parent will have a very selfish child, a child that takes and takes and takes and doesn't know how to stand in responsibility for their own self because their parent overfunctions. And that thwarts that child to grow up underfunctioning and thinking that's absolutely okay in relationships. Number six, I will do anything to avoid rejection from others. That's a big statement, isn't it? Resiliency in a lot of ways as an adult human being in this modern life is actually about learning how to deal with rejection, radically accepting that we're going to get rejected in lots of different ways by lots of different people, lots of different times in our lives. Why are we so frightened of rejection? What do we do to avoid the discomfort of rejection? As codependents, we will manipulate. Yep, that's a hard word. Because a lot of codependents very much resent and have been very hurt by master manipulators. Inside of a codependent, we tend to justify. Yeah, 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 but that kind of manipulation is for bad things. I'm trying to manipulate for the greater good. Manipulation is manipulation. It has an ick factor that doesn't do anybody any good. So because we are so frightened of rejection, because our good feelings are based on the acceptance, the approval of others, it's a pretty dangerous thing that we would do anything to avoid rejection. Lie, hide, manipulate, cajole, overfunction. What's going on for our own life, our inner life, our outer life, our goals, our dreams, our desires, if we're putting so much energy 
and to trying to seek approval, trying to avoid rejection. It winds up being a full-time job. It winds up taking over so much of our life force that then we resent that. And this is how codependent people, if they don't adjust over the course of a life, they wind up being very bitter about life, about relationships. Number eight, I experience much more passion in a relationship that is stormy and full of drama. Oh my goodness. I wonder how many of you hearing that right now are having some light bulbs go off. I walked away from a friendship recently because I didn't like being next to this cycle so constantly. I was very much hoping that she'd get out of this cycle and she didn't and I did not want to be a part of it. It's very hard in this life to live by our principles and to respect our own energy. Broke my heart a little bit. Sometimes codependent people are very much addicted to drama. They don't know how to have safety and security, depth of feeling and groundedness. So they oscillate between extremes, high highs and low lows. They have big, dramatic, intense fights, hurt feelings, puffy faces from crying. They say really hurtful things. It gets volatile. And then they make up. It's why we have terms in our culture like makeup sex. There may be some healthy ways to have makeup sex, but when we're in a relationship that is intensity and hurt and pain and insecurity and not knowing how to be soft places to fall for each other, we may be addicted to drama. We have to do the uncomfortable work of learning how to get still, of learning how to grow up those younger parts that are addicted to drama. We have to be disciplined to allow them to stop getting their fix. Just the same as somebody who's addicted to opiates. They have to be disciplined with themselves. That's part of their self-care. It's part of self-respecting what we really need instead of what our dysfunctional parts as human beings want. These are the kind of relationships that you have had consistently since childhood. I want you to know that you can work on it. You can learn how to be more secure within yourself And you can learn how to enjoy life in that middle ground, letting go of drama and finding security. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Many of you who are out there dating, I know that you're reading attachment literature. Many of you who listen to the show identify as anxiously attached. These drama relationships dig those holes deeper. 
Your task may be to work on security within yourself and learning what it is to relate to people outside of drama. It's a very hard thing to look in the mirror. I've had to do it in my life at times and go, wow, I might not know what to do or how to be in this moment. All I've ever had in such a moment is drama. I actually don't know what I'm doing. We surrender. There's a freedom in surrendering. There's a truth in our need to surrender to certain dynamics, to let go so that we can clear out and do the work of changing. Number nine, there are 12, hang with me. Number nine in our codependency checklist from Susan Forward says, I am a perfectionist and I blame myself for everything that goes wrong. That critical voice, it loves some good old codependency. It loves perfectionism because if you're trying to be perfect, you just can't. And therefore, we blame ourselves for everything that goes wrong. In this moment, can you zoom out from that? Can you hear how in the dysfunctional way that I can use the word selfish, how selfish this is? I am a perfectionist and I blame myself for everything that goes wrong. Well, you're not powerful enough to be responsible for everything that goes wrong in the world or in life. What happens if you let go? What happens if you decide not to go into that kind of victim mentality? What would happen if you owned what goes wrong instead of blamed yourself for what went wrong? What if you practiced resiliency and good enoughness instead of grabbing that perfectionism that allows you to blame yourself for everything that goes wrong? This is how we break these dynamics. We break them. We put our foot down. We say no more. And just because you put your foot down with your own inner perfectionist doesn't mean the perfectionist silences. To work with this dynamic, we have to know that that perfectionist, that self-blaming part, it's felt mighty entitled to just stroll into our existence at any moment it wants and just start squawking at us with negativity. Just because I tell it, hey, you know what? I don't want you to do that anymore. I've learned better and differently. It's not going to go, okay, cool, and just peace out. That would be lovely if it worked like that, wouldn't it? To work with this, we have to really lean in. We have to be willing to ignore that perfectionistic shamer, that blamer. We have to let it squawk at us and jabber and just learn to ignore it until the volume gets dialed down, until it learns, I might as well back off because she's not listening anyway. And in that moment, we're in our empowerment instead of our victimhood. Number 10, I feel angry, unappreciated, and used a great deal of the time. Well, I guess so. You're putting yourself on the back burner and telling yourself it's the right thing to do. How else are you going to feel except angry, unappreciated, and used? It was mind-blowing to me when I finally learned that I was responsible for other people using me. Man, did my ego like blaming other people for using me. Isn't that easy to do? Isn't it kind of sickly satisfying to the ego to be like, look at their bad behavior, their selfishness, their mindlessness, their entitlement to just come and use me. It is such an easy thing to blame. There's so much healing and power in owning this. 
Yeah, I do feel angry and unappreciated and used a great deal of the time, and that is on me. What have I told myself to allow myself to be so used? If we value ourselves, we won't allow ourselves to be used. If we value ourselves, we will learn boundaries and learn how to say no, how to deliver it with kind and firm authority. This is why we need boundaries. It's not right for our lives to go on being used up by being angry and unappreciated and used. I can't get behind that at all. We have so much power to change this dynamic, to break it, to take our life back from this dynamic. We do well to learn simple and clear yeses and simple and clear noes. Can you hear how all of these things fit together? That of course, if we're seeking approval, and that's one of the primary ways we know to feel good, it's damn near impossible to feel no. So as we do this work, we learn other ways to feel good, to get approval, to feel appreciated, to feel loving and loved and lovable. All of these dynamics, everything, not just in this episode, everything you have ever heard me speak on, it all connects and it all adds to our growth. Just like your body. Think about being a 10-year-old kid. Is there ever really a time when just one part of your body is growing? No, it all grows in unison. It all grows together, little bit at a time. Our emotional development, our emotional growth, very similar. Number 11, I pretend that everything is fine when it isn't. Who hasn't had the experience of feeling somebody's energy be absolute crap and ask the question, you all right? What's going on? You okay? I don't think there's a human being out there that hasn't asked that question, felt that energy, and heard someone say, I'm fine. And some I'm fines are filled with avoidance. I don't want to go there. Some I'm fines are filled with rage. They're seething under the surface. And what a paradox that the codependent person wants to be seen, wants to be heard, wants to feel important. And yet in the face of someone genuinely saying, you all right, what's going on? They dismiss themselves. They lie. They smush themselves down. I'm fine. It's short. It's curt. It's passive aggressive. We do well to understand this dynamic and to own it. To grow ourselves up, to challenge ourselves in that moment, to not be conflict avoidant, to not be approval seeking, To not fly beneath the radar because we're too scared of conflict and the emotions that surround it. We can learn simply and easily and still in privacy and protection of ourselves, but in honest authenticity, we can learn to say in that moment, you're right, I'm not fine, but I don't really know what I feel right now, so I can't really say more than that. Healing from these dynamics, it's not about showing all of your cards all of the time constantly to everybody. That would be like trying to live naked out in the world. Even nudists put on clothes when they go to the store, they cover up. You get to learn how to be private. You get to learn how to say things like, I would like to talk about that maybe another time, but today isn't the day. You get to learn how to stand up for yourself. You get to learn how to show up for yourself. You get to learn how to be honest and authentic and real. And when you do so, 
Your inner child trusts you. Isn't that what we're going for? How is your inner child supposed to trust you with this life if she watches you lie about things like, I'm fine, when you are most certainly not fine? What happens if you give yourself permission to just be this honest, this real? There's something very beautiful and healing about simplifying life in such a way. Have you been telling yourself that the right thing to do is to hide, to be passive aggressive, to not show yourself? What if you flipped that? What if you reframed it? What if you found the permission that was very different than all the permission you've given yourself till now? Number 12, our final codependency checklist item. The struggle to get others to love me dominates my life. Can you be radically honest with yourself right now? Do you feel lovable? Do you allow others in to love you? Do you keep people out because you've been hurt by people that said or loved you and were inadequate or abusive? Learning to be at peace with who we are, learning emotionally intelligent skills to help us move through this very emotional, very confusing, very multi-layered life. It's not easy work. What happens if you start to give yourself some affirmations of lovability? What happens if instead of putting your energy into desperately trying to get everybody to approve of you and love you and make you feel whole and good, what if you took on that task yourself and used that energy to put a hand on the heart and a hand on the belly and said to your own inner child, We don't have to run around desperately trying to get love from others. I'm enough. We are enough. I love you. I love you. What if you helped her or him stop that chasing, that desperate chasing that makes us feel the opposite of lovable? It makes us feel unworthy because if we were worthy, we wouldn't have to chase it down. We can have a lot of terror as highly sensitive people. All the corny stuff about we can't really love another until we learn to love ourselves. It's true. That's why we have the corny sayings about it. The task in codependency is to put effort into self-love in a way that codependent people have put most, if not all of their effort into loving others and solidifying them, staying and loving them. One of the real hard realities that a lot of people don't like facing, but there is freedom in facing, is that anybody can leave us and we are guaranteed no one. People can have head injuries and accidents. They can change. They can develop drug addictions, gambling addictions. Life takes people in some interesting and unfortunate directions. Nothing is guaranteed. The only thing that is guaranteed is that I will be with myself till the end. It is a process and I didn't do it overnight. But the goal of all healing, if we boil it down, is to be able to know what it is and how to love ourselves. What it sounds like, what it feels like, what it looks like in action. When we act in self-love, we attract people who are willing and able to love us back. When we chase people down, we're trying to align with people that are avoiding or running away. And all that will get us is 
woundedness and our attachment style. So when you're overwhelmed, when you're lost and where to start or how complex healing codependency is, simplify it. Come back to it's about self-love. If you get real and quiet with yourself and ask yourself, what do I actually need in this moment? You'll hear it. You'll hear the scared part of you say, I don't want to do that, but if I say no, that person's going to be upset. I don't want them to be upset at me. Then your wise woman or your wise man can come in and nurture you, hold space for you. And that is an act of love. This is how we learn to love ourselves. We learn to show up and we show up. And the more that we do, the more trust our inner child has in our adult self. That's what makes us feel more secure. That's what makes us feel more loved, loving, and lovable. I am happy to announce that the Boundaries course is now open and ready for enrollment. Head on over to emotionalbadass.com backslash boundaries to check it out now. Patreon people, look for your code on Patreon. If you're not on Patreon and you want to join, you can use the code EARLYBIRD22 for $50 off full price. You can use these coupon codes to pay in full or you can choose any of our three different payment plans to make it what you need it to be to be able to join the course if you want to. Those of you who were in last year's course, look for an email because you have a very special code in your email. Light and love and let's work on that independence because we can love and we can caretake. We can be helpers. We all are if we're highly sensitive. We can learn to do that with better boundaries so that we are loving and caretaking in a way that actually serves us because healthy help energizes. It doesn't drain us. It feels good and it feels right and it lifts another up. It doesn't create a dependency or a resentment. Isn't it awesome to know that you can learn that? That you really, really, really can grow into more peace within yourself and within these relationships. I'm an emotional badass. You're an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. I'll see you right here next time for a brand new episode. And I'll see you at Patreon for the exclusive episode this month. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.